All right, this morning I wanted to begin with a question, and I want this to be a question that we kind of walk with uh, for the sermon, but also this sermon series. So I'm going to pose the question to you. Here it is. What if life was a highway? What if life was a highway? Remember the song, uh, I think, uh, uh, who was it that made it famous? Tom Cochran, I think he was the first guy that sang it, Life is a Highway, I'm going to drive it all night long. I think my favorite version is the one that comes from the movie Cars, and Rascal Flatts sings it. Life is a highway. So imagine for a moment that life is a highway. We're going to use this imagery today, but we're also going to use it throughout the whole sermon series as we're walking through the, the thought and the idea of forgiveness. So we thought, as Pastor John and I were meeting and we were planning out the sermon series for the year, we, we thought it'd be a good time at the beginning of this year to take and to tackle an issue of forgiveness, knowing that it is a big need in our own lives, but it's also a need that we see in the world. So If life is a highway, imagine for a moment what that would mean and what that would look like. So you begin life with your life behind the wheel of a car. So you're a car in a car, not a car, but you're in a car on a highway that is moving towards a destination. And your destination that you're moving towards on this highway is a place called paradise. It's a place where you are in the presence of God. It's or heaven, and, and you're in the presence of the God of the universe. So that's the destination. So you're in a car driving down the highway, and life is a highway. You know the destination. But you know along the way, as you're on this road, as you're driving down this road, the route to paradise is marked with a lot of signs. It's marked with a lot of guidelines that have been placed there by God so that you know where you are to go, how you are to get there. So life is a highway. God is leading you on this highway. And along the highway, God has given us three types of signs. And we can see this in the highways that we drive. There are three main types of signs that you will encounter while driving on the highway. Now, today we're talking about a spiritual highway, but if we're talking about a real highway, we can see that there are signs that are regulatory signs. These are signs that show us how to properly use the highway. Signs such as speed limits, uh, signs such as lane usage, or signs that show us to go one way or not to go that way. And so those are regulatory signs. Those are the signs that say, this is how you are to use the highway. We also see signs uh, that are warning signs. These are, are signs that will tell us that there's a curve ahead or there's a, you need to lower your speed because there's a turn coming. Or you'll see the sign that will warn us of a divided highway. Or you'll see a sign that will say low clearance as you're going under overpasses. You may even see a warning sign that tells you that the road becomes slippery when it is wet. But there are also guiding signs, guiding signs that, that show us direction. So as you're traveling along I-95, you'll see signs that let you know, hey, you're on Interstate I-95. And there are also signs that will show you if you want to take this intersection or if you want to take this bypass, go on this way. So we see that there are guiding signs. But if life is a highway and our destination is God, then the reality or the responsibility of us as drivers is to reach the destination. In order to reach the destination, we must follow the signs exactly. That's the challenge. We must follow the signs exactly, and failure at any point disqualifies us from reaching our desired destination. So if we speed a little bit too much, or if we take a wrong turn, or we don't use our blinker, those things disqualify us from reaching our desired destination. And so if that's not challenging enough, what makes life on this highway even more challenging is that God has not allowed us just to drive this highway alone. He's placed other people 
in other vehicles all around us in the same process. And as we travel these highways, we are continually challenged because we're challenged by the fact that we need to, to follow God. But as we are seeking to follow God, we're also interacting with people. And if you've driven any highway lately, you know that the, the car and the interstates are filled with people that are selfish. We see that the cars and, the, and this, the, the highways that we drive are filled with people that are in a rush, in a hurry, and they're sinful people. We're not the sinful ones. It's everyone else around us that is sinful on, the, on the, the highway. They're the ones going too slow or going too fast or driving slow in the fast lane. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we ourselves are the ones that are selfish and sinful as we're driving down the highway. And it's easy for us as we're driving this highway unto the Lord. It's easy for us to get off path with God. It's easy for us as we're driving down the road to see the speed limit sign and say to ourselves, that speed limit sign is too slow. Or we're driving down the road and we see the ill-timed red light and it, and it brings about anger or anxiety in our lives. Or we become very frustrated as we're driving down the road and we see all the cars in front of us slowing down and coming to a stop to allow ducks to cross the road and thus inadvertently causing a traffic jam. We know times that we don't use our blinkers. And we know that there are times we don't obey the signs. And as we're driving down this highway, we can cause pain because of our selfishness, because of our sin, because of our pride, because of our hurried life, because we don't want to abide by the rules and the guidelines that have been given. It's easy for us to cause pain to other motorists. Have you ever cut someone off? Have you ever been the one driving in the fast lane too slow? Have you been the guy that's driving on the road and realized that you need to get off on the exit and you're already in the fast lane and you cut across all the lanes and get off and make everyone upset? Or maybe you've been the one that's been cut off. Maybe you're the one that, that other motorists are making you angry or you've, been, you've made other people angry or you've been angered by other people. See, it's, the reality of life is if life is a highway, the truth is as we drive this highway, we are going to get we will be hurt by other motorists. We will hurt other motorists. And it's impossible for us to do it perfectly. It's impossible for us to drive the highway perfectly. We will all mess up. We will all be in need of forgiveness. And along the way, we will get lost. Along the way, we will get off path. We'll get off course. Along the way, we'll be involved in fender benders. Along the way, we'll be involved in collisions. And even potentially along the way, we may be put in the place of where our accidents can cause death. See, we are people that are in deep need of forgiveness. And that's really what I want us to see as we begin this sermon series today, is that we are people in need of forgiveness. And through this series, we're going to look at our need of forgiveness between us and God. We're going to look at how we can receive forgiveness and how we can give forgiveness to other people that are on the same path. But today, as we begin, I want us to look at how do we receive forgiveness or how does forgiveness work out between us and God? I want us to see three things from Scripture today. One, that forgiveness is needed. Two, that forgiveness is promised. And three, that forgiveness is provided. 
So we're going to jump around to three main passages today, and I'm going to give you the, 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 the passage, but I'm also going to give you the page number so that you can get there as well with us. So I know this is not normally something that's easy to do. I don't like playing uh, scriptural bounce around, um, but I think because of the, the, the topic today, I think it's necessary that we're going to be a little bit in the Old Testament, well, a lot in the Old Testament, and a little bit in the New Testament. So we're going to begin today looking at Exodus chapter 34. That's on page 64, if you have one of the Bibles that we've provided Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to begin looking in verse 5. And what I want us to see from Exodus chapter 34 is that forgiveness is needed. We are people in need of forgiveness. So Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 5, it says this. The Lord descended in the clouds and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children and the, to the third and to the fourth generation." So from this passage, we're going to give you some context of, of this conversation that is taking place between God and, and Moses. You see, God had begun and continued to, to carry out his covenant with his people. He had used Moses to let his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and now they're on the journey into the promised land. And along the way, in this, this journey, in this process to the promised land, we see that God has been continually being faithful to his people. He's provided protection for them. He's provided food for them. He's provided direction for them. And what we see continually with God being faithful, we see that God's people are continually prone to go their own way. We can see back in, in chapter 33 and even before that, that God refers to his own people. He says that these my people are stiff-necked. He says that they, their necks are stiff, that they do not want to go the way that they're being led, but they themselves want to be the determiners of their own direction. And so they're prone to wander, they're prone to go their own way, and they're prone to rebel against God. And so we see that in, previously that Moses has already gone up to the mountain where he receives the Ten Commandments from the Lord, <coughs> where God himself takes his hand and writes in the tablets and gives his people commandments or guidelines. And these guidelines are, are there to say, if you, my people, desire to be in a relationship with me, if you want to stay close to me, live in this way. These are the bounds for relationship. If you, you go outside of these bounds, then you'll be outside of a relationship with me. So as he's up there on the mountain, as, as Moses himself is getting the guidelines from God, what takes place is, is God's people are murmuring and mumbling, and they're saying, Moses has gone too long. We need someone else to come and lead us. Aaron, would you lead us? Aaron, would you make for us a statue, make for us an idol so that we may worship? So what takes place is I, uh, Aaron gathers all the gold from all the people, their earrings, their rings, and all their other things, and he melts it down, and he makes this golden calf. And the people of God bow down and worship this golden calf. And God, as he sees what's taking place, as, as Moses is up on the mountain, he said, Moses, God says to Moses, <coughs> I am going to destroy these people. But Moses goes to God and intercedes and says, Moses, or God, don't do this. Because it will defame your name. And we see that God changes his mind. And he chooses not to allow his anger and his retribution to come on his people. 
But we see Moses comes down from the mountain with the commandments in his hand. And as he sees the disregard that God's people has for God, and they are are rebelliously worshiping, it changes Moses' heart, and he becomes so irritated, so irate at the people that he throws down the commandments of God on the ground, and they're broken. From that time, we see that God's people eventually repent. And then in chapter 34, Moses goes back to the mountaintop to receive again the commandments. And if we look here in verses 5 and 7, we can see the character of God. We can see, once again, we get glimpses into who God really is. So the Lord descended in the clouds, and he stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him. And this is as Moses is getting ready to receive the commandments again. We see this about God. The Lord, we see this in in verse 6, the Lord, the Lord. So the Lord is saying... I am the Lord, Yahweh, my name, and then he's going to say the Lord and then begin describing who this Lord, who this God is. We see that this God, the God of the universe, that one has made all things, is a God that is merciful. We see that God shows himself as a God that is gracious. We see that God is a God that is slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and that he keeps this steadfast love for thousands of generations. So it's almost as though this love knows no end. This love is exceedingly great, and it is amazing. It is overwhelming that God is not a God that wishes to run into anger and that does things out of revenge or out of hate. But God is a God that is loving. God is a God that is faithful, even when his people are not. So we see that about God. Then he says something that is amazing. He says, yes, I am gracious, I'm abounding in love, but I'm a God that is forgiving. God reveals himself as a God that is willing to forgive. Knowing that his people and people around will continually rebel against him. And if you read the Old Testament over and over and over again, you see that the people of God are continually turning their back on God. They continue to say, God, we don't need you. We want to go another way. We want to worship anyone else, anything else other than you. And we see God continually over and over and over and over again being a God that is forgiving, a God that takes them back, a God that is slow to anger and abounding in love. But he forgives them. Why does he forgive them? Because they sin. Now, I want us to see here in, the, in verse 7 that there's a connection between forgiveness, sin, and justice. Do you see that there? There's, you've got to have, if we're going to understand God being a forgiving God and our need for God, we need to understand sin, we need to understand forgiving, and we need to understand justice. And I want to spend just a few minutes uh, defining those and, and dis- <coughs> describing them from Scripture. So Jesus, or God here, is talking to Moses, and he talks about sin. And do you see the words he uses for sin? He doesn't just say sin. He says, I'm willing to forgive, and I'm a God that forgives sin, transgression, and iniquity. Now, maybe you've never really thought about it, but do you realize that there are three different, different terms for the idea of sin? And as we look at these sin, transgression, and iniquity, we see that they are the beginning, thank you, of this downward spiral of sin. That sin begins in a simple way. Sin, as it is it, it's, it's talked about here, is simply just meaning to miss the mark. 
To sin is just to mix the, miss the mark. What it necessarily means or beginnings to mean is that when we sin, we put ourselves above or we put, our sense, put ourselves against God or another person. So when we sin, we put ourselves above God or we put ourselves above someone else or we put ourselves next to or against someone else or God. Now, a sin can be intentional or unintentional. You may sin just not knowing it or you may intentionally sin. And so we call these things like lying, we call them cheating, we call things like stealing or pride is one of these sins or, or viewing pornography as one of these sins, having anger is one of these sins, being disrespectful, lusting, slandering, hatred, jealousy. These are things that are sin. These are things, and many, many more, there's a myriad of other sins. But these are the sins that we do and sometimes we can look at them and say, you know what, that's, that's just a little white lie. That's not a real deep sin. That's just a, a, a simple lie or, or that's just a moment of pride or a moment of lust. But what I want us to see is there's a dangerous downward spiral of sin. It always begins with sin and then it moves into, if sin left unchecked, it will always move into a transgression. Now transgression is is even bigger. So it's not just missing the mark, it is crossing the line. So a transgression is something that we do when we know the boundaries that are out there. We know the bounds in which God says, run in this lane. Run this way, live in this way, but when we choose to go outside of the lane, when we choose to go outside of the lines that God has given us, we moved into a transgression. So a transgression is an intentional disobedience or it's intentional harm, where we choose to do something that is either going to disobey God or it's going to harm someone else. Now, if that continues to be unchecked, it can lead into iniquity. Now, iniquity is premeditated choice. Iniquity is continuing without repentance. It's planning to disregard God or planning to hurt someone else. It's meditated where you sit around and you think, today I'm going to willfully, actively disobey God. I know what he says, but I'm going to go the other way. Or I'm going to willingly, actively harm someone else. Iniquity is what leads to heinous crimes and offenses. Every person that is in prison today because they have done great harm, it all began with a simple sin. Sin left unchecked begins a downward spiral to where at the end we come to a place where we're in absolute rebellion against God and we hurt other people. And this is why there's so much relationship dysfunction in our world today. Like, do you experience relational dysfunction? Are there people in your life that you have a hard time getting along with? Are there people in your life right now that you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish great harm would come to them? Like, there's dysfunction Because of sin. There's dysfunction in our families because of sin. You don't wonder why children turn against their parents and parents turn against their children or husbands and wives turn against each other. The reason they do that is because of sin. We wonder why we look at our society and we see so much societal dysfunction. 
Why can't this group of people get along with this people? Why can't Republicans and Democrats get along? Why can't we can't just all love each other and get along? We can't do that because we sin. And all of these levels are involved. So we are people that are in need of forgiveness. The pain that you feel in your life is a direct result of either someone else's sin or your own sin. And our sin stands in the way of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. We cannot be in a a right relationship with God with sin in our lives. It's impossible. A holy, righteous God cannot allow someone that is sinful to be in connection with him. Because it would totally destroy his holiness. So we realize, and I hope you see today, that we are sinful people. The Bible is assured and reminds us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never murdered anyone. Maybe you've never been uh, to a place where you've done something so heinous. But if you traveled down the road and you switched lanes without using your blinkers, you've sinned. Or if you had an evil thought one time in your life, you've sinned. And you're a person that is in need of forgiveness but here's the beauty verse 7 even though we sin look and see that god desires to be a forgiving god that is close to his as close to his heart as possible it's a part of his character that god is waiting and desiring to forgive now i want to just take a moment and and to define forgiveness for you we see this throughout scripture and there are many different ways that we see scripture defined or scripture define forgiveness or give us a picture of forgiveness and later on i'm going to share with you some of the 75 ways that we see i'm not going to share with you all the 75 ways that would take us forever but i'm going to share with you some of the 75 ways that that scripture produces or or shows us a picture of what forgiveness looks like but i want to share with you quickly two things there are two aspects of forgiveness that we see in Scripture. One, uh, one aspect of Scripture is to pardon. So part of forgiveness is pardoning someone or covering up the sin or the offense. So part of forgiveness is just covering it up. The second part of forgiveness is to take it away. Where forgiveness or the sin or the offense is completely disposed of and is completely dealt with. Here's what we see in Scripture. We see it right here. That's why he begins by giving us three. He says, sin, transgressions, and iniquity. It doesn't matter where you're at. Like if you're fully in it or you're a little bit in it or you're all the way in it, what he's saying is it doesn't matter. I'm able to forgive all of it. I have the ability and desire to forgive it all. No, it doesn't matter how amount, how much you have. There is no amount that is too great. So even though we sin, God provides forgiveness. There's another aspect of God's character that we, can, we need to understand before we move on. That even though God desires to forgive, his character demands justice. Justice demands that any violation or sin be dealt with. It can't just be covered up. Think about how unfair it would be for someone that goes out and murders 150 people for them to go to stand before the judge and the judge just says you know what i forgive you 
I'm going to take all your sin and I'm going to hide it under a rug and cover it up. Is there justice there? Think about all of the families that have been impacted by that murder, all the lives that have been shattered. Is that just? Absolutely not. That would be an unjust judge, and we should call for that judge to come to justice. But see, in the same way, God says, I am a just judge. I can't just cover it up. I can't just put it away. It's got to be dealt with because I am a God that is just. And so we're going to talk about how he brings about justice. But what we see here is that one God hates sin and there must be justice. But in the justice that God brings about, it is there's no ounce of revenge. God is not a revengeful God. God is a God of justice. And when justice is violated, God steps in with his holiness and he deals with it. And we see here that when sin goes unrepentant or when sin is not forgiven by those that don't seek it, it's not only paid for by the one that has committed the sin, but we see that it is passed on down to the children and to the children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. Let me explain this real quickly. You see, if there's a person that lives their life developing a pattern of sin in their life, someone that's moving from sin to transgression to iniquity, guess what happens? It changes the pattern of their life, and those that are closest to them have the ability to look on their lives and see their pattern of sin. So the children of the father see the pattern of the sin of the father. They see when he shows pride or they see his anger or they see his disrespect or they see his lust or they, they see his, his hatred or they see his jealousy. They watch him lie. They watch him cheat. And as they watch their father or their mother or whoever it is God has placed in their life, when they watch them go down this downward spiral, they see their pattern of sin, and guess what they do? They're more likely to follow the pattern that has been placed before them. And so the sins, the desires, the, the shortcomings of the father are seen in the son, and that gets carried on down. And so that, that son or daughter takes on some of those, those patterns and those some habits. And guess what they do with it? They go down a downward spiral. And guess what happens? It gets passed on down because their children watch them. And this downward spiral passes on down from generation to generation to generation to generation. So we all sat and watched our parents either be really good. We saw them in their good days. We saw them in their bad days. We saw our parents in their ugly days. And their pattern of sin or their pattern that moved towards righteousness is something that is a part of us. So we are people that are in need of forgiveness. Do you see the need in your own life today? But not only do we need forgiveness, the second thing I want us to see is that God promises forgiveness. You can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20, and this is on page 72, so if you want to flip there real quick. God promises forgiveness. 
Now, as, you, as you're turning there, I want us to see that as, so from this mountaintop that, that God and Moses are having this conversation, Moses comes back down with the Ten Commandments again, and God knows the whole time that his people are going to fail. He knows that his people are going to turn because they're stick-necked people. He knows that they will rebel. He knows that they will be involved in sin, but God provides a path for them to continue to receive this forgiveness that he's promised. So he promises forgiveness. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20. This is the path or the plan for forgiveness that he gives. Leviticus 4, verse 20. Thus shall he do with the bull, as he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. So the path of forgiveness in the Old Testament that God gives Moses and his people is through sacrifice. He says, this is the path. If you want forgiveness, then what's going to happen is an animal is going to have to shed blood. Whether it's, it's a sin that you committed intentionally or a sin that you committed unintentionally, the blood of animals, the shedding of blood, will cover the sin. You see, life and blood are the payment for sin. And God here is giving Moses the path for pardon. And as we look back and we read through the history of Israel, we can see that tens of thousands of animals were ceremonially slaughtered by Jewish priests for centuries. And that the spilling of their blood was a vivid illustration of the deadly seriousness of sin. When the families would bring their animals to the priests to be sacrificed, they were saying to God, God, I'm a sinful person. I have sinned this year, intentionally and unintentionally. My family has sinned. And so we are bringing this goat, we're bringing this bull, we're bringing this ram, we're bringing this animal to the the priest so that the priest may sacrifice this animal. That was a real vivid image of the cost and the price of sin. But the truth of the Old Testament sacrifices is that the best that these sacrifices could do is to cover up sin. All the Old Testament sacrifices could do was was to be a band-aid to sin. They could not remove the sin. But you see, the Old Testament pattern pointed to forgiveness that was going to come and that would be provided. So the Old Testament we see through these these, um, sacrifices only pardoned sin. It didn't pay for the sin. So as these families, as these people were bringing these animals to be sacrificed, they were placing faith, not necessarily in the animal itself, but they were placing faith faith in the lamb that was to come. A sacrifice that was to come. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. See, the Old Testament people were waiting for forgiveness that would come in the person of the Messiah, the person of Christ. And so God promises forgiveness, but God also provides forgiveness. Look with me in in Hebrews chapter 10. You can turn to page 865. Hebrews chapter 10, we see that God provides forgiveness. Forgiveness. He, he uh, is not just saying it's going to be covered up because that's not just. So the Lord was covering sin for a while in the Old Testament. And if God continued on until he came back again, he would be an unjust God. And so he had to deal with it. And how did he choose to deal with it? He chose to take all of those sins and place them on his son 
on the cross. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. See, the New Testament tells us that Christ was the one who lived the life, never violating his relationship with God or other people. So on this life of a highway, as Jesus was living, he didn't have a car, but in this metaphor, he's driving the life of of the highway. He followed all of the signs. He never sped. He never didn't use his blinker. He always stayed in the right lane. He always did everything perfect. If, If the traffic slowed down, he slowed down and was patient. He was peaceful. He was God and completely obedient. But in Hebrews chapter 10, what we see is the writer of Hebrews is drawing drawing a contrast between the animal sacrifices and the sacrifice of Christ. For Hebrews chapter 10 10 verse 4 says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to the promise that was given to Moses, and he's saying this spilling of blood of these animals could only cover it up. It could not take it away. And he goes on in verse 10 to 12 and says this. And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of You see, Jesus Christ became that sacrifice. And because he was perfect, every sin on him was laid and he paid for it on the cross. But then he rose again and through his death, his burial and resurrection, this forgiveness of God can flood to us. I want to share with you some of the the, the 75 word pictures of forgiveness in the Bible. I'm not going to share all of them. But these are some of the ones we see. To be forgiven is to turn the key, open the cell door, and let the prisoner free. Another word picture. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt nothing owed. To forgive is to bound, pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare the person not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be retrieved. To forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it, leaving the house fresh and clean. To forgive is to loose the anchor and set the ship to free to sail. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive is to loosen the stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast a wall of graffiti, leaving it brand new. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into thousands of pieces so that it can never be put together again. God is a God that can forgive. You know, the sad reality is, is that I see, we see, we live among people. We ourselves may be one of these people that are living as though we are in the last round of a demolition derby. Where we've spent our lives smashing into other vehicles. Or we have been hurt by other vehicles. We've spent the majority of our lives not pursuing the path towards God, but instead we have been smashing into other people on this highway. We have been hurt and we have hurt. But I want us to see this morning that Christ offers restoration. If all you have today, if your life is just a jalopy, 
that is full of bent fenders and smashed uh, windshields. Your wheels are about to fall off. Christ offers forgiveness and restoration. He can fix the bumps. He can fix the dings. He can fix the bent fenders. And he can make it as though it never happened. He's not just going to bondo it. He's not just going to duct tape it together. But what he's going to do is he's going to miraculously, because of the work of his son, and because he promises that he'll forgive, he takes the jalopy of our life and he makes it back the way it was the first day it rolled off the line. It's as though it never happened. But in order to receive this forgiveness that God provides, we must begin by admitting that we have made a mess of our lives. So we admit that we've made a a mistake, we made, made a mess, that we violated God, that we've hurt other people, and then we come to God and we ask him just to fix it. One of the most beautiful passages of all scripture is 1 1 John 1, 9. Where there's a promise that is given that if we confess our sin, if we confess our violation, we confess to the God of the universe that what we have done is we see that he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning as we come to a time of close, where is it in your life that you need to receive forgiveness? Between you and God, just between you and God. Don't even think about anyone else today, but I want you to to think about your relationship with God. Like, have you come to the place where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, him taking your penalty and death? Have you given it to him and asked him to come and be the Lord and the Savior of your life? If you haven't today, you can. It's just that simple. Go to him and say, God, I made a mess. Please, Take my life, take my sin, cast it as far as the east is from the west and allow me to live my life for you. And maybe you're here and you, you've done that, but you know that you've allowed sin to creep back into your life. There's areas that you know today that you've just allowed to creep back in. I encourage you just to spend moments, either today for the rest of the service or sometime this afternoon, just going and before the Lord and say, God, I've made a mess again. Please forgive me. But just a second, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I'm going to hand it over here. We're going to continue worshiping here in Wilmington. But in Hokesson, we're going to turn it over. Keith or someone else is going to come up and end the service there. But let's pray and allow the Lord to continue to teach us and to show us great things. God, thank you that you are a God that forgives, that you're a God that gives second chances, that you're a God that gives third chances, fourth chances, a million chances. But God, we know that when we die, the chances are over. So with the life that we have, with the time that we have been given by your gracious hand, may we respond appropriately. Father, may we just come to you and confess today the areas of our life that are displeasing to you. Father, maybe we've been going and and going and following our life, discovering our own path and trying to be the determiners of our direction. Would you remind us today that you are our goal, you are our life. So then in these next few moments, God, continue just to show us and help us to be obedient to your call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.